welcome to the Nerd Party. podcast. I'm Jessica Nunn. And I'm her husband and co-host, Philip Gilfus. Now we're going to have to speed through this because the cat, I suspect, is currently asleep on our bed. Mm-hmm. And so we need to get through this before he realizes we're podcasting and needs to come in and interfere, as he usually does. That's right. So let's whoop through this thing. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about one of the full series of Doctor Who that we just finished watching, and that is series 11, but... I don't know, maybe not the one you're thinking of, or maybe it is. We're talking about (laughs) the actual Series 11, or at least in the classic scale of things. And that is the last series featuring John Pertwee as the third Doctor. Yes, yes. Uh, I was trying to remember what Series 3 knew who is, and I was like, I don't know. I can't remember what time that is. I was like, is that Matt Smith, Peter Capelli? I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) But it's fun to watch. (laughs) Exactly. Brain herded. All (laughs) right. And then for our Inside the TARDIS Library... We're going to do a bit of a rerun, but not really, um, because we're going to be talking once again about Clever Dick Films' YouTube video about the John Pertwee era, but we're going to talk about it as folks who have just finished watching the entire John Pertwee era for the first time. Yes. So, but we're just going to concentrate on Series 11 for the moment. Okay. So, that's sort of the biggest thing, I suppose, and you can... Maybe you disagree, but is the introduction of a new companion. I think it's the biggest thing ever because I think that I'd be interested in a poll, but I do feel like Miss Sarah Jane is certainly the most well known companion out there. Right. And so a, a, a fan favorite all round, all mm-hmm. round. Like even New Who knows. Sarah Jane. Right. And, how, and having now seen it, um, what did you think of her introduction and what little you've seen of her for, you know, five stories or however many it's been? Yeah, I I like Sarah Jane. It's really interesting to look at particularly the third, and I know we're just looking at the 11th season. Sure, we we'll do whatever. <laughs> looking, well, thank you, yeah. baby. Uh, looking at John Pertwee's run... Um, you've got, what's her name? Uh, I know, we can never remember their names. Liz Shaw. Just Liz Shaw. We just watched the video. That's yes. the only reason normally yeah. I just blank on all. Yeah. Tim, mean, Tim Shaw's cousin. Exactly. And you have Joe. Um, and then, of course, Joe. And Liz Shaw, I think, was moved into Joe Grant, partly because she was pregnant, which is totally inappropriate, by the way. That is not good. HR. Well, I think it's fine to be pregnant. Uh, no, it's absolutely fine to be <laughs> yeah. pregnant. It's not okay to remove her as a companion because, because she's yes. pregnant. But also the suggestion that she was too competent. Right, right. Wasn't the, what's going on, doctor? What are we doing? More the, ah, I see what's going on. Yes. And so then Joe Grant comes on with her fantastically large doe eyes. That she can't see out of. That she can't see out of, <laughs> bless her cotton socks. 
um, and her what's happening and oh this is interesting and and Sarah Jane sort of finds that middle. Mm-hmm. Um, she very much cl- uh, she is incredibly bright, but it's not science. Yeah, I was about to say that seems. And again, I don't know. I don't want to agree that the formula is non-science companion who always has to ask questions of the doctor. I mean, and that maybe you would say that is the formula. I'm not saying you. I'm saying. But I, I but, don't think that's a bad thing. Right. I think this, the idea that the companion is the voice of the audience is not a bad thing. Like you I'm, need that person. I'm thinking like a Martha Jones. Yes. Um, who is uh, yeah, science-based. Yeah. <laughs> um, but know. not aliens and outer exactly. space. Exactly. Yeah. More medical than... And I don't think yeah. Liz Shaw ever found that and maybe that was simply because they were stuck on earth right and so her knowledge was more useful in the scientific realm not useful in the doctor who realm right that makes sense yeah um and so yeah you then you get somebody like martha jones and you're taking her to the past and you're taking her to the future and there are aliens and everywhere and her scientific knowledge is great. Doesn't really help during Shakespeare time. But it doesn't help her during Shakespeare time, and it yeah. doesn't help her when they're stuck on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the and I think those are some of my favorite companions, the ones that are smart, mm-hmm. whether it's book smart or just really bright, mm-hmm. like a Donna. Donna, like is a Donna, not a, it's not, like an Amy, yeah, it's not like book a smart. Rose, yeah. even mm-hmm. who's very much not book smart, but is you know as learns a, quickly, uh, yeah, plucky, which is a terrible <laughs> know, thing, yes. but you know isn't the one to go screaming in the night like Perry, right? Um, so yeah, I think Sarah Jane has that, and it, it it is quite possible. Like I say, Sarah Jane sort of walks that line. But it's quite possible that in Sarah Jane's time, when the Doctor is able to move to other places, Liz Shaw would have been just as interesting a companion during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the place where she was brought in was not an option. So Sarah Jane comes in and is just, yeah, that smart companion. But then who asks the smart questions? She's a reporter. And maybe that's the difference for me. You know, Perry doesn't necessarily ask the smart questions because she's too busy screaming. Right. Um, and same thing a little bit of uh, Bonnie Langford. Yeah, Mel? Mel, I yes. I like that can't be right. Yeah. Yes, it is right. There's just screaming. You know, whereas Ace is like, right, tell me what's happening and I will... As she's running towards it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think those are the companions that I that I like, uh, even if if they sometimes don't have as much self preservation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, there's my Sarah Jane. I thought it was interesting, and again because this is my first time watching this, well, most of this season, um, we'd seen both of us had watched Planet of the Spider sometime before, but mm-hmm. out of context. Um, and I don't think any maybe and together. Time, I think yeah. we need to. I, th- I think we need to. You sound like we did it in opposite rooms, <laughs> and we didn't. We watched it together. It's a Zoom time. Sofa. Yeah. and yeah. we'd seen Time Warrior before, which we had discussed on here. But we hadn't talked about the other th- or seen the other three stories in order, and so the, the context. Mm. Because you know how how do they explain? Because I think this whole project, which we'll maybe talk about a little bit more in the library portion, is watching this all in order. Is there a, a storyline, or does it all? Is there an actual thread there? Or is it just random? But anyway, all this to say. You know, how do you introduce a new companion who's not part of unit, you know, the first Mm non-unit companion for the third Doctor, and then how does she stay? So, in other words, you have the time war where it's kind of an accident, 
And then you have Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which is sort of like, yeah, she came back and we're still dealing with the thing. It hasn't really been like a, you're official now, you know. Yeah. Uh, here's your TARDIS key. Not that she actually gets one. Um, but, I mean, you know. she, she's got it there at the end, <laughs> yes. just for the record. But anyway, but, you know, you sort of have the uh, proverbial giving the TARDIS key moment. But, you know, it's, it's just sort of like, uh, you know, she the, the doctor sees her worth and she sticks yeah, around. Yeah, and I, and I think some of that, again, is her. Her choice, which again is a nice thing to see. Right. I mean, even in this last series of the spiders, mm-hmm. you know, she shows up because what's his name? Yates, Yates calls yeah. her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not she's not just sticking around waiting for the doctor to make an adventure for her. You know, she comes in as a reporter because Yates calls her in because he knows her as a reporter. And so all of this is, is her choice. And I think that that's a really nice and interesting thing that clearly, even though we don't see any of it, she comes and goes by her own volition. It's almost like a reverse Clara. I was just thinking oh, the ahead. same thing. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Because it's just that I was thinking that. So with with the um, the twelfth Doctor, right? You know, instead of already established, because you know, with I mean, I'm not, this isn't a necessarily a complaint, but just like most companions, Clara is introduced as the companion, travels with the Doctor. I mean, that's the long and short of it. But then later they're like, ah, oh, let's give her a life, you know. Um, whereas this is Sarah Jane already has a life. But it's a life that, you know, as a roving reporter, um, she's always going to stumble upon stuff. And so then that can always be like bringing the doctor. And then sort of having this parallel uh, careers between the doctor and Sarah Jane that always intersect because they're always stumbling on mysteries. And And I think this is a place that it works Mm -hmm. where it didn't work with Clara. Again, partly because they don't establish it from the, you know, if she had worked for Coal Hill Academy, Mm -hmm. Coal Hill Academy from the beginning. Right. That would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. It would have been particularly interesting because Cole Hill has such a mm-hmm. reputation already. Um, but they just sort of shove it at her. And then she's teaching, she's teaching. Oh, the doctor showed up. They run off for two weeks. And oh, she comes back at the end of break at the same day she left. And off she goes. And here's a little romance that isn't particularly interesting. And I think if they had established that from the get-go, and maybe they should do at some point, a a Coal Hill Academy teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going for the alien from doodly-doo. You know, from the show. From the young people show. Class? Class. Yes. Because she was just brilliant. In oh, the, the teacher, you mean? Yeah. I'm blanking on her name, too, but I know you're talking about yeah, yeah, the blonde think, teacher. I, oh, my God. Wouldn't she be fun against anybody? Yes. Just this sort of, you know, the doctor shows up and she's just so unimpressed. <laughs> I just think it would be fantastic. So much fun. Uh, and then the doctor is forced to explain himself or herself. In the face of that derision at all times, that would be so the, the unimpressed fun. companion. Yes, consistently unimpressed. Because even when we get the alien companions, uh-huh. they're not as knowledgeable. And it, it would be an interesting twist because you'd still have to explain yourself all the time. Uh-huh. They could still be a little bit of the audience voice, mm-hmm. but. She doesn't want to hear your explanations. I think the closest, <laughs> and we'll get to it, you know, sometime as we maybe venture into our, our next regeneration here. You know, when we get into the Romanas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, not, not, which is not, I mean, alien, but not alien to the Doctor. 
Um, but you know, because uh, I'm thinking the unimpressed, I'm thinking Romana, the first Romana. Mm. Um, you know, tends to be a little more less impressed than the second Romana, who's a little, little more you know going with everything the Doctor goes. Yeah, with. but putting the alien, uh, putting the Doctor on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be a lot of fun to watch. And I think you also see it a little bit with Missy. That's true. Yeah, and that's a special case, but yes. A- again, yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. And so having a companion who mm. does that, who is just a companion with no sort of time lord, n- is not a time lord. Makes not necessarily it... doesn't have the time lord yeah, yeah. experience, but is not a time lord would be really interesting. It brings to mind our... Um... I was going to say fake, but I don't know. Our fake ninth doctor with the um, robot master. Because that's an unimpressed companion. I mean, yeah. technically it's a time. They're technically oh, right. not because yes. it's a robot. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, he's, he, you know, the, the, the uh, I don't know, it's a very American staple. I don't know if it can't be a, a British staple because it's an American staple about British. It's sort of like the master, sort of the American uh, stereotype of like the British butler or the whatever who's always the snide remark, you know. I, yeah, I, I, don't no, know that, I think, it, I think yeah. it is a little bit, I think that comes a little bit from mm-hmm. the British stereotype uh-huh. and attempt to uh, shake up class system mm-hmm. to an extent. Where you have yeah. the lower class, I don't know if I'm saying that correct, but you have the lower class sort of being sarcastic to their better or whatever. Yeah. All right, anyway, well, moving on to specific, we don't necessarily have to go, you know, in the ground with all of these, but just taking them one by one. Our first one is the Time Warrior. Um, I don't know if you want to read the synopsis or not. I desperately want to read the synopsis. When scientists start to go missing in the 20th century, the doctor is called in by the brigadier to investigate. His investigations lead him to deduce that they are being kidnapped through time. As he, and he sets off in pursuit, unknowingly kidnapping journalist Sarah Jane Smith in the process. Arriving in the Middle Ages, the Doctor and Sarah find themselves caught up in the machinations of the robber baron Irongron and his man from the stars. The alien, a Santaran named Lynx, is arming him with modern weapons in return for helping him repair his damaged ship, and it's up to the Doctor and Sarah to stop him from ruining the Earth's timeline. So, as I said, this is the, the first story of the last series of John mm-hmm. Pertwee yep. with our new companion, Sarah Jane Smith. Yep. Um, yeah, the TARDIS is now working again. Not It started working, you know, previous season, but this mm-hmm. is sort of, we're kicking it off. I was going to say we go off Earth. That's a lie. It's on Earth. But at least we go back in time. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's something we haven't seen in a long while, mm-hmm. if actually, if ever, in the Third Doctor era. I don't think I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a story before they've gone back in time and Earth. But anyway... So this, what do you think of this sort of uh, return? I mean, again, it's always funny to say return when you're talking about the third Doctor, because you know, we're looking backwards, not to what we know now. But at least this return to time-traveling adventures. Yeah, I mean, we've watched this one twice. I liked this one more in context. Mm-hmm. Still wasn't 100% crazy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy, you know, there's not necessarily any dull moments. I mean, there, there may be some slower moments. But, I mean, it's, it's fairly action-packed. You know, you have the Santaran providing all his stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's the introduction of the Santarans. Um, mm-hmm. You have Sarah Jane on her adventure, the Doctor. on, on You know, it's sort of the, how you read a Doctor Who story. The commands with one group. The Doctor's with the other group. But, you know, they're, they're both semi-interesting. You know, you have the robber baron and his villains. And then you have the other castle or kingdom, who are just, you know, the good guys. 
and you sort of go with that, and then you have the scientist, and like that one scientist who's always like, he can't, what is he, can't see, or he lost his glasses or something, or whatever. He's a source of humor, as much as there is, um, so it, it keeps things moving. Yes, so. yeah. Uh, this is this is so far from first contact, you know, rules. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. First do no harm, is that the rule? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Offer, offering all the weapons and and I typically enjoy the Santarans on individual levels. So, um, well, this is a serious Santaran. It is. Yeah. Yes, he's not nearly as much fun as Strax yes. is. But I like the Santarans. They're fun. The potato heads. It's nice. And this is uh, they have more whiskers in this. Yes, don't uh, they? yeah, a little rootier. Yeah. Um, now this actor. Is the same one who plays. I'm going to say his name wrong. The Buddhist monk at the Planet Spiders. Oh right, it's the same actor. Oh okay, so, so he goes from Santaran to cultural appropriation. There you Fine. Go. Yeah, exactly. I say cultural appropriation, but technically he's a Time Lord, so I don't know if that's a given. He's actually a projection of it. Anyway, yeah. we'll get to it. We'll get. We'll, we'll get to it. So anyway, I, I thought I thought that was a good way to kick off this season. Um, invasion of the dinosaurs. Oh goodness. Um, I'm I'll, on it. Okay, I'm on ahead. it. I got it. The third Doctor and Sarah arrive in 1970s London to find it has been evacuated because dinosaurs have appeared mysteriously. As the line between friends and enemies wavers, the Doctor soon discovers the dinosaurs are being brought to London via a time machine to further a plan to revert Earth back to a pre-technological golden age. Make Earth great again. Make Earth great again. I was thinking the same thing. I, I, really, I, I really wish, to be honest, sweetheart, right. and this is sort of an across-the-board podcast thing, uh-huh. that sometimes when these thoughts come into your head, you'd at least pause a minute because the thoughts are coming into my head at the same time, and it's not fair that you always <laughs> get them out faster than I do. Rude. I do like how it says 1970s London. It's not just they return to their time because that's just where the series takes place. Um, (laughs) It's like they've been gone like a a week or something in there. Also, and you're going to find this funny. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? I think it's like a make Earth great again scenario. (laughs) Just what I was thinking, darling. High five, baby. (laughs) So let's talk about the dinosaur in the room. Uh, I'll be honest, I remember very little about this one, so I'm assuming it happened, but it wasn't all that interesting. Well, I, I, they're not great. They're not great. Let's just throw yeah, it out there, the dinosaurs. I think, yeah, I think that's... Do you, I mean, well, I guess, you know, if you don't remember, then it's not great. I'm just thinking, like, you know, if we could fix the effects, would it fix the story? It's Because, I mean, there's something there. I'm not saying there's not mm-hmm. something there, but it's just a little distracting of, like, no, no. I mean, I'm glad they tried, right? I don't want to say people shouldn't try. It's, it's the 1970s London, as the synopsis says. Yeah. Um, and they're doing the best they can with the effects and budget that they have. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like, you know, it's one of those things when you're writing a story. You know, I think about it as a playwright. They, sort of the, the thing is, you know, don't worry about what it's going to look like on stage. You just write what you want to write, and it's up to the director to make but it But sometimes happen. you sort of need to worry about, <laughs> yeah. Don't write a play with realistic dinosaurs. dinosaurs. That's right. just, if you can't buy that, that woofy, woofy air thing on Amazon mm-hmm. of the T-Rex, right. don't, don't, don't include it. Yeah, so I'm, I, you know, I, I just, yeah, it hurts the story, I guess. Yeah. I, it's hard to be like, I don't know, I just feel like this is sort of like the stereotypical Doctor Who you would show someone and be like, oh, 
Oh, oh, this. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, I don't like, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we hate to show that. Yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, there's still good stuff going on. You know, there's a Swedish wool doctor, Sarah, and unit doing their thing. But... I also think that Make Earth Great Again mm-hmm. isn't the dinosaur time. <laughs> well, I thought they're using the dinosaurs to scare people away so they can. I, yeah, yeah, I'm not. Mm mm. Mm mm. Let's let's think this through, bad guys. Come on. Well, thinking speaking of thinking it through, this is our Captain Mike Yates traitor episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now I remember it though, because yeah. there was the thing, and it was like zoom 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 zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then like the the, the doctor had some special weapon, and Yates sabotaged it. Then he had to fix it. And yeah. Sarah was in the garage, and, and then there was a dinosaur. And this is such a weird. And, uh, this is particularly weird. Like I thought it was. I knew it was coming, because obviously the actors who played Yates and Benton and um, the Brigadier. No. Oh, sorry. Um, Joe. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I had to get to her last name first for some reason <laughs> that time. Uh, you know, talking the thingy things that uh, we watched. Behind the sofa. Yeah. Um, so we knew that this was coming. I knew it was coming. And then this happened, and I was like, okay, is this just an exit strategy? Is that what's happening? But then we get to our stuff, the one that we just Planet of the finished, mm-hmm. and there he is making a redemption. So in that case, what the heck was the point of this? And there's no real, like... Like, Yates calls Sarah Jane, and he's like, hey, wait, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. That's fine. Weird things are happening with these spider people. They don't, he doesn't know that they're spider people, but yeah. that's all right. And and she's, so she's like, yep, you were definitely a traitor, but I'm rocking up anyway. And then they never really mention. I mean, just, I, I agree. I mean, just sort of, well, because what you're getting at is that Sarah doesn't have any, like, why should I listen to you, Mike? Mm. You know, it's almost like it's a bit like she's just Joe, where they have a semi-flirty behavior, and hey, it's it's Mike. And so they're like, oh hey, Mike, what's up? You know, and then they just automatically. It's not like you almost killed us all with dinosaurs, but here I am, and like like I would the way I would fix that. You could still do it pretty easy. It's just like you know, he contacts her, maybe meets in a coffee shop or something oblique, and then she, he. She's like, oh, I don't, you know, I can't, how can I trust you? How can he's like, oh, it's a really good story though, and then sort of entices her with the good story element, but then where she doesn't necessarily like, trust her, but he seems nice, and yeah. But but he's also sort of like, you know, I went through a really rough time and I made the bad choices, so I've come here to get all zen with my oming and all of that, and I'm trying to be a better person, Sarah. Jack. There's none of yeah. that. It's just he calls her up and he's like, hey, I'm at this yoga place. Come see it. Yeah, and yeah. she's like, okay. <laughs> and then they solve the crime. And the end. Hooray. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The question is why Why do that? Why have... I mean, I mean, it is interesting to have one of your... I want to say main characters. Your, your secondary... Your main secondary characters turn. Absolutely. And that's so... And as much as it is. But, you know, you do have to... But again, even then... Mm-hmm. Even coming back to the dinosaurs, there's no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. I was distraught when Joe ran off with that hippie guy, and <laughs> I wanted to ask her out, and so I was angry, and these guys came in, and they took advantage of my vulnerability. There's nothing. It's just, oh, Yates is a bad guy. 
oh, now Yates is a good guy, but there's no sort of he doesn't come together with the uh, with uh, the brigadier. There's nothing. There's nothing. It just oh right, we still have him under contract, so we should <laughs> use him for something. Yeah, hey, he just got to sit out two episodes. Yeah, yeah that seems. Anyway. Was he pregnant? Is that why? <laughs> is this an impreg situation? You know, it it makes me think that. Well, I think one of the advantages of watching all this in one run is because, again, this whole thing, which we'll, we'll talk about here, is, you know, is it just random stories? Is it episodic, I guess would be the better way to say mm-hmm. that? Or can you detect some growth, some... But, so watching this together, whether they mean to or not, you know, like you said, watching Yates do this whole, like, um, you know, I'm... My, my foundation and belief has been shattered and I want to, is there another way of doing things because people are terrible to each other? And this is, you know, is, is it just that he got spurned in his mind? He got spurned. Yeah, and like, I, I, like we can read into that just because the episode doesn't say that, but we're kind of like, I think it's just because Joe ran off with another guy. And yeah. You're, and you're yeah. like, and he was just about <laughs> to ask her out for that first date. Uh, so, so we, we have just for the record, a breaking news alert is that the cat, we've not done this quickly enough. The cat is awake and will be joining us as soon as he gets finished with his head in the Cheetos. Yeah. Bag. That's not going to make any sound. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think when we're talking about story arc, I think obviously you have some continuity there. Yates is a bad, Yates is a good guy, Yates is a bad guy, Yates is a good guy again. So there's a continuity there, but it really could have made a nice and interesting arc, even if it were just a C plot arc, yeah. mm-hmm. and they made the choice not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. It, it's a, it's an interesting story to have this. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to button it too much, but this sort of using lowercase letters here, liberalism versus conservatism, that seems to be repeated in Third Doctor era. Yes, where you and have, I think we're going to need to come back to that in the library yeah. section anyway. So, but, all right, but well, yeah, moving. But again, that would be okay if that were actually what was happening. Mm-hmm. But it's not right. really. It's not explored in any sort of area. So, anyway, yeah. carry on. Well, moving on. Um, well, not to put my cards on the table, too. Sort of a downer. Uh, Death to the Daleks. Yep. Want to do this one here? Yep, of course. An energy drain traps the third doctor and Sarah Jane Smith on the planet Exelon with its hostile natives, causing the travelers to make an uneasy alliance with a Marine Space Corps expedition and a squadron of Daleks. The key to escape for all of them lies in the heart of a powerful and mysterious lost city, but only if they can navigate a series of deadly traps. And for this one, I was actually rereading... Um, the TARDIS.wiki entries for these episodes, the story notes portions, because those are always interesting. Because um, I remember watching this going like, oh, this is like the worst Dalek episode ever. Which, I mean, I'm not saying, it, well, I'm not saying it's like a bad, bad, bad episode, but just comparatively speaking, well, I don't know, there's men- Daleks in Manhattan, that's weird. But anyway, <laughs> it's not a great use of the Daleks, which we, we continually... <laughs> not as weird as Muppets take Manhattan, <laughs> but... Which we have continually talked about. And we're, we may not be the greatest Dalek fans there are. That but, is a true story. But then I, when I was reading the story notes, the, originally the Daleks weren't even in this epi- series or this episode. And I, now that I think about it, like, it, it would probably be fine without them. Uh, yeah, this is another one of those mm-hmm. that I think, eh, 
do we need Daleks? Is this just a thing where, like, hey, remember the Daleks? That was fun, right? Let's do another one. Yeah. yeah. Or, hey, we have these costumes in the back. Because, and I'm... Not that that's saying it's the most powerful story in the world, but with the mystery of the city and the aliens and the, I mean. And the puzzles. Yeah, the puzzle. That's like, I mean, I think that's probably half the story in a good way and literally. Yeah. Um, is just doing the RPG or role-playing game of, you know, the Doctor and the, his, I meant to look up the name of the uh, Exelon that goes with him. Yeah. Um, as his companion for that portion of the puzzle. Um so, I mean, that was interesting. I mean, it, you know, it was. It is interesting to go through the different we puzzles. We have to step on these buttons. Yeah, or have to find the pattern. Easy, yeah. Or have to, yeah. yeah. So, you know, as, as people who play puzzle uh, phone games or computer games, it's mm. interesting to us, at least. Yes. Um, but, yeah. It, 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 it was uh, fine. It, it was, was fine. fine. It was fine. Not, not great. It was fine. Because I think a way to use the Daleks that they try, that they did a little bit in this episode was, A, they took away their power with the energy drain, so they can't exterminate and so then they become sort of reluctant allies with um the doctor and the marines um you know and all trying to do a common enemy or common goal and so i mean the daleks as a reluctant ally that's an interesting mm-hmm. thought yeah like i don't know if we've ever done cybermen as reluctant allies but mm-hmm. that would be an interesting exercise we um, have done sympathetic right on both sides. That's true. You know, here's a sympathetic Dalek, Dalek. In the Ninth Doctor episode. Yep. And here's a sympathetic... And even in the... Oh, yeah. With the Twelfth Doctor, he had his... Uh, and whatever his... Yes. Whatever he named it. Um, and we have, you know, sort of sympathetic Cybermen in uh, Danny Pink. Oh, uh, that's true. Bill. Bill. Yeah. yeah. But not, hey, maybe we need to figure out how to work together. I think there's a lot of loveliness in that. Mm. I think there's there's some possibility, and this ain't it. Yeah. So yeah, I you know it just seems like Daleks use just to use a Dalek, but we have this costume in the back. Well, so moving on to uh, I don't know one of our first sequel episodes, the Monster of Peladon. Mm-hmm. Want to read that? Oh uh, yes, yes. The Doctor returns to Peladon 50 years after his last visit to find Queen Thalira, daughter of the late King Peladon. Is is it King of Peladon or is Peladon the last name? Yes. Okay. All right. And they've they've named a whole planet after themselves. This is like the, this is like Hershey, Pennsylvania, but in a much bigger form. I think exactly. I can't think of a better comparison. Okay. Cool. A tense labor dispute between the Pell nobility and miners is worsened when apparitions of their deity, Agador, attack and kill several miners. The Galactic Federation desperately needs trisilicate for its war against Galaxy 5 and sends in brutal ice warrior troopers to ensure production. The Doctor soon discovers a devious plot at the heart of Agador's appearances. And all I could think during the entire episode was Agadoo-doo-doo, which is a song, and that was, that was, I, it ruined it for me. I was going to say Agador does throw me off, uh, just because it's, it's like a regular name, kind of. I mean, not in America. 
But like you know, I, I could feel like, like where Agador, Agador. Uh, that's you know, I just sounds like some like it's just like a Hobbit name. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's seem like a sounds yeah. like a monster name though. Like oh, okay. Agador yeah, sounds yeah. like um you know the old aunt that's gonna visit. Oh yeah, Aunt Agador is coming uh, next Tuesday. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's not like she's a witch, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. There's a lot with this, and I didn't necessarily. I mean, just look. We already know that you're doing this whole Workers Unite thing. <laughs> yep. Just do that. I mean, it worked for you in the one where Joe Grant goes off and gets married. That's it's true. fine. Mm-hmm. Just work through the, you know, everybody deserves a union moment. And it's fine. And and the queen's a good guy, but her... her um, uh, Cardinal Richelieu is not, and this is all something we're very familiar with. And just go with it. We don't always need an aga do do do. Because I don't know if you remember um, from the Sarah Jane episode with uh, Sarah Jane and Joe, where they're like, "Oh, I've been Paladin. Oh, I've been Paladin too." Oh yeah. So um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Of course, we have Alpha Centauri. The... Also, the Peladon always makes me think of the bicycles. That's true. Is that what they're, they're called? Peladons, I think right? So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So then I just wanted to exercise, and that made everybody uncomfortable. Um, and then we have Alpha Centauri returning the green. Oh yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah, and weird but fun. Yeah, she's <laughs> he. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They specifically, because it's got a very feminine voice, but they specifically give him a male pronoun. Okay. Well, he, he's uh, it's an interesting linchpin to both episodes. Like, who do we need to bring back? This is the, what what costumes do we have closest to the door? <laughs> well, I think it's also interesting because in the previous episode, or previous Peladon episode, um, the Ice Warriors, who are stereotypically the bad guys, were not. I mean, they were like your, your wharf. From Star Trek, they're kind of aggressive, but they're friendly. Mm. Um, whereas here, they're the bad guys. Yeah. Um, ostensibly the bad guys. Because I thought that was interesting to use them that way the, the first time. Because it's like, oh, they're the bad guys. Oh, no, they're just they're just their regular allies. Yeah. Okay. This was a lot, and it might be the same episode, because I don't remember Jack <laughs> and the Peladons. Because mm. I just don't. You have such a great memory for things like that, and I just mm. don't. They wash through me. But the one where they were... There was they were like trying to get a peace organized, mm. and the two the the aliens were pretending to be opposite members and causing the problems. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but okay. I'm good with it. That's that's what this made me think of. He probably is. This but... it, there was a lot of extraneous stuff. Yeah, because the, the last. I feel like I should know the something of Paladin. I'm sure is the other episode. But anyway, um, that's the one that's sort of the common market analogy you know we're all trying to come together as the joint as the town is going to join the federation and then hijinks um but this one is a part of the federation but now the federation is at war um and they're like you got to do your part peladon give us your mind you give us your minerals and then you have the sort of aggressive ice warriors coming along trying to be like whatever but i just think there's a lot like you said there's a lot of good elements to this episode like i said it's the the the, the you have your usual class warfare with their um the miners wanting their rights and then like every every uh, doctor who episode yeah, whatever well, they just do it all the time where you have like the leader who's the good but then you have like the second guy in charge who's, cardinal Richelieu. who no 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 well i mean of the miners 
Oh, right. Yes. Also, yeah. You always the, have this... the, the minor cardinal reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The lieutenant is always the radical. You always have the leader who seems moderate. Yeah. And the lieutenant who's always a radical, like in every Doctor Who story ever. Um, sometimes the radical takes over and kills the guy, or sometimes, you know, but that's always the, the structure. And then, you know, you have the, your role of religion, because, you know, godless England. Um, but you sort of have your Cardinal Richelieu. <laughs> you uh, just sort of slid right past that one, baby. I don't know. Um, you know, religion really is bad, and that's what they're, you know. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, you sort of have that role and where, you know, they, that in his chamber of secrets, I believe is that's what it's called officially, um, is, uh, you know, I have power here, you have no power, queen. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of then have the role of gender, because then you have the young queen who, you know, doesn't feel like she can do anything because she's a woman and they don't have, you know, she's like the, an accident or... No, accidental no, monarch yeah, yeah. no choice because there are no male heirs um and so she's sort of struggling with that and so you have sarah jane sort of counseling her on how to be a woman um and uh, so i mean there's there's stuff in this episode but it, it, it does just drag for whatever reason thing. yeah i feel like and here you'll enjoy yeah. this okay Michelle, you ready, ready for this for you ready you ready to be excited mm-hmm. if this were a star trek ex- uh episode you would have all of those things without Agador and the ice people Mm -hmm. and, you know, you would have, hey, we've landed on this island where they're having union issues and also the queen isn't sure and Troy would be the one talking to the queen and being like, so tell me how you feel about this and here are some suggestions and and have you tried some lipstick And, and then... Obviously, Picard and number one would be Riker, would be working. Are you, are you appreciating all that? I mean, all the <laughs> names and everything. And they would be working with trying to figure out the miners and the Cardinal Richelieu, and they would be, and all of those things. Godless Star Trek as well. Yes. Godless Star Trek as well. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, you don't, it doesn't have to, it, that doesn't add anything. Well, like the, the thing, I guess that it doesn't confuse me, but again, having watched this stuff, you know, kind of recently, where I know, you know, if you're watching this in real time, it'd have been like a year or two later. You know, we I, th- I thought we solved Agador. Like the doctor had already proven, like that's just like a puppy or you know whatever the last time, and it's still like I thought he had debunked the religion for lack of a better word last time he was there, but it's still going strong despite yeah. him being like, no, it's just a thing that well, I sing lullabies to. Again, coming back to my Star Trek mm-hmm. analogies, it's like Lower Decks that we watched this last week mm-hmm. where they made first contact and disproved all these things and, and then second. left and people are still doing them. You're still obeying Landrew? Anyway, yes. Yeah. See? Uh, See? Yeah. Look at my dog. Uh-huh. I want extra points in this marriage for having my Star Trek analogies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I thought there was definitely a lot going on. Yeah, because there's a lot of these stories, you know, it's they go on and there's not necessarily a lot. But they, they, they were certainly trying for a lot in this episode. Yes. And I didn't think they needed to, but yeah. that's all right. That's all right. All right. Well, that's this penultimate episode. We now Planet go to of the Spiders. Planet of the Spiders. So, yep. finish us up. The blue crystal that the Doctor took from Metabellus 3 in a previous adventure is desperately sought by the Eight Legs a race of mutated spiders as the final element in their plan for universal domination. With help from an old mentor, the Doctor realizes the only way to foil the plot is to make the ultimate sacrifice. The Doctor must risk death to return to the cave of the Great One and save the universe. So how'd you 
think of. But this is sort of I, I, <laughs> this is just me. I the, what distracts me this episode, and it's bad. It's bad on my part. But like this whole meditation center, that's fine. That doesn't throw me off. But it's like all the guys, because it's all guys. All the guys there just look like the worst people. Like just like look like accountants or something like they I don't are not the people you expect to be and, and, and like i'm not judging on appearance i'm 100 percent judging appearance and i shouldn't be it just seems like the like the random casting just like picked anyone off the street for the i'm they're not acting but they're, they're all good actors suits and ties. yeah it's just like i don't you want the people from joe's last episode again <laughs> to come back yeah i mean but maybe that's the whole point of the meditation because i wasn't there in britain in 1970 whatever about who who was joining this um but it just seems like because even the villain the the bad guy um, whose name escapes me just he's, a, he's a, I mean again I hate to talk about appearance he's an odd looking guy and so but I don't know it just throws I me off think it, I, I, to me it's not about facial appearance mm-hmm. or bodily appearance as much as the the costume choices which are sort of businessman mm-hmm. and also he talks about you know I was running this business and then I was embarrassed and so now I'm back here for power and that doesn't necessarily those aren't the sort of people who think yes I'll go to meditation he has what's it called economic worry yeah okay yeah what do we talk about the voters yes yeah (laughs) the other thing that I think bothered me and again if you're going to talk about um, arcs or lack thereof Mm -hmm. the whole point ultimately of this story is about hubris the doctor stole the crystal, right. and all of this comes down back down to this. And I'm trying, and he's got to face that greed, as he talks about, not greed of monetary things or of power, but of knowledge. And possibly they're trying to do a dichotomy between greed of knowledge and greed of power, and at least. The doctor's greed is not that bad, but it is still about hubris. But they don't hit you with that until like the penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. And again, this feels like it should have been an arc that built that we see in all the episodes. This sort of beginnings of knowledge grabs and going a little further than he needs to go for that knowledge and continuing to do that until we get to this point. And we don't get that. It's it's just later on his guru, and he specifically yes. calls him a guru, really, really despite goes that, the fact that he's a time lord. Really hits that first you. Yeah. yeah. Um, is like, mm, maybe you were the problem, and he's like, oh yeah, maybe I was. I should got, and that's it. Yeah, because watch, you know, having seen this before, I thought I remembered, but I, mean, I feel like I've I've sort of changed my head that they've emphasized it more than they did. Because for one thing, and I can't remember, and I could look it up, but why bother? Because I'm just going to do it off the head and I'll be wrong and everyone will yell at us. But anyway, as I remember, he needed the crystal for a reason. If I remember the episode where he he stole the crystal, it was like some, like, it was almost a, uh, uh, not a clip, montage of, like, this action going on Earth. And Doug's like, well, I'm going to go over to to whatever, because y'all are whatever and it's like this monster like he's getting like wrapped up by vines and stealing this and that and that yeah it's like a quick thing but i thought like yeah. he needed the crystal for a reason it wasn't just like i'm gonna go to metabilius three and look at crystals and steal one because i think they're pretty but i feel like he needed it for a reason but anyway maybe i'm wrong um so this whole like i just stole it just because i'm a stealer but anyway um i think it's an interesting opposition to 
the new Who, where they're playing a huge long game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the crack in the wall, and five years later, you're like, oh, that's where he was going with that. Or five, was it? five years hyperbole, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, whereas this, it's the complete opposite. Well, I was thinking. Of, he stole it mm-hmm. four billion episodes ago. Yeah. Um, oh, and now we're going to refer back to it, but this is new, so we're just making it up as we got. We've not dropped any breadcrumbs anywhere. Because I was thinking, and not necessarily that they hit the nail on the head with this per se, but I'm thinking of the Tenth Doctor. The Tenth Doctor during his movie era, you know, the specials parts, where you sort of have the Time Lord victorious, where he's pushing how much powerful he is and or what he's what he can do what he's allowing himself to do and you know and then you get to water of mars where he literally says time lord victorious i'm in charge of time i'm the last time lord left and then you know the scientist kills herself and then maybe i don't have it but anyway sort of leading up to that sort of the greed mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know he's been last of the time lords was sort of i feel feel like tens theme you can argue um folks but i feel like that was sort of his big thing and then what does that mean to be the last of the time lords so um because then they return uh, with with his regeneration story, and so he has to confront what does it mean to be anyway, blah blah blah. blah. But uh, yeah, with this one, but there are breadcrumbs. There yeah. are breadcrumbs, uh-huh. and there are no breadcrumbs. There are no breadcrumbs all the way through this. Yates shows up, hubris. I don't know what ebbs. Here uh-huh. we go. We're just chuck, <laughs> chucking stuff at a wall and see if it sticks. Well, what do you think of it as a regeneration story? And, I don't, and you can define that as you want. One way I would define that is. Um, acknowledging the doctors, this doctors, you know, whatever one it is, past, you know, you know, we'll see both in classic and in new who, like when they actually regenerate, you always have bring back all the companions somehow in some way. And so with this one, you know, you quote unquote bring back Joe, you know, bring back Liz Shaw because I guess we just don't acknowledge her anymore. Um, and then you bring back Yates, I suppose. Um, and then I don't know, but did you feel like? And maybe you don't need that. I'm just, I'm just saying that's what they do sometimes. But what did you think of it as a regeneration story of? In that sense, a closing in chapter. terms of a closing chapter, mm-hmm. it didn't work. But mm-hmm. again, to me, that's about the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. You don't have the the redemption arc for Yates. Mm-hmm. If all of this had been leading, uh, you know, if the entire season had been leading up to this hubris moment that now he has to regenerate to atone in some way. I mean, at least with the second Doctor, even though you don't get quite as much build up, you do get the, the whole he's he regenerates as part of a redemption arc. Um, even if it's not a very long one, and this one is is like literally a twenty minute one, and I don't think it works for me in that sense. And I guess the thing, and maybe I was just wasn't paying attention watching it this time, but I think I was. For some reason, I had thought that they had really emphasized more the Doctor's fear um, of death of. The Spider Queen of, of the Great One. It's weird that the Spider Queen is actually not. The, 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 it's the Great mm-hmm. One or whatever it's called. Anyway, um, but anyway, but like to me, to introducing the element it was is like fifteen seconds. It's like mm. he's he's going to the cave, and maybe I I, I know the cave's not good for him. Like it's going to kill him if he goes in the cave. For some reason I missed it this time, but I mean I knew that. But anyway, um, but the Great One's like ah, oh, you're scared of me. You're scared, and that's your fear. And I'm like. 
Okay, that seems random. He just went scared of spiders, or I mean, no, he's yeah. not scared of spiders. I, anyway, I and it's not. It, see there's no build up. Yeah. There, I, 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 we're gonna have to call this episode something about breadcrumbs. That's, <laughs> there, more breadcrumbs were needed throughout, mm-hmm. uh, with the Doctor's arc, with Yates's arc, with everybody's arc. Even, I mean, even Joe was just like, I like my life. I like my life. I like my life. Hey, I'm gonna marry this guy. Bye. You know. Which is also not dissimilar to Susan's exit. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and then, I don't know, not go all the way into this. Uh, I don't know, because I guess, blanking on the guy's name, he's the producer of, the main producer mm. of Doctor Who. Um, I know there's two of them, I'm just blanking on the names. Roger or something? No, no. but I can't remember. It's, I'm sorry, sorry people, I know you know. The two producers of the Third Doctor era, the one that's not the other one, um, was a Buddhist. Um, yes. And so, but I, I thought, like, I don't know if he did, did himself a great service. I mean, I'm sure he's not, you know, advertising his beliefs per se. I mean, maybe yes, but like, you know, if you are, it's not doing a great job for yeah. like, yeah, meditation centers is where creepy guys go and do creepy things. Time lords appropriate. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, a lot, and then there's a flowers from Algonon. That's yeah. What do you think of that? It was. Very strange. Like, there's no suggestion that it fixes, quote unquote, right, right, fixes people um, in any way, shape, or form. So, why all of a sudden does Tommy become erudite? Well, I guess the way they introduced is that the crystal was what made the great one. It just makes you. Yeah, but everybody else is out there handling it, uh, and this doesn't happen. I got. I guess you got to stare at it when it does a zoo, 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 zoo. I don't know. I don't know. Right. For you. Right. And then you have to have a little bit of Algernon. Yeah, and also the actual plot again. I'm not, digging deep into it. Not mice, but spiders, and I don't know. The actual plot of the Great One, like the Doctor didn't have to do anything. You know, like there's no foiling. Like you give her what she wants. Like she, the whole episode is about the Great One getting the crystal. But she gets it, and her machine or whatever, crystal machine, whatever it is, is shoddy. Like, it's not going to work. So it's like, meh. She could have just gotten it and blown herself up. Like, we, we didn't have to be involved with this story at all. Yeah. And she would have blown herself up. Yeah. You know, like, we should have just given her the crystal in episode one and been, like, done. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, well, and then what do you think of, of uh, you know, we'll get the whole big goodbye, but at least... The actual regeneration. Again, it was it goes straight into the doctors hanging out with the spider, and then Sarah Jane comes into unit, and Brigadier's like, "Oh, you're back again," and she's like, "Well, it's been three weeks, and I just keep hoping he's coming back." It, there's no. It's all of this tale. Like we have we have had this what is it, four or six episode six, yeah. arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been doodly doing on with the Tommy story, for goodness <laughs> sakes. And then we get five minutes of, oh, he's been gone for three weeks. I've been really worried. Can't you tell in the last 60 seconds you've seen me? And, oh, there he is, but now he's dying. And it, so, again, we don't get that buildup of any sort of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that during the time when it was first airing live and everybody knew that this was the next step, maybe that helped build it up. But, uh, yeah, meh. Do you think that the third Doctor gets it? Not that I'm saying he needs one, but we're used to it in the New Who era. You know, where you have these monologues at the end. 
Um, does the third doctor get any sort of moment or goodbye or anything that you feel like? Yeah, a little bit. Is mm-hmm. that a tear? And mm-hmm. and I, I'll be honest, I didn't hate the regeneration itself. There right. are others. The next regenerate. Oh no, it's uh, five to six, isn't it? With the ghosty ghost guy. No, and that's, the, that's next. It one. is four to five. Oh, that's terrible. Which I think is interesting. If 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 you're concerned about canon and technicalities, which I am, um, you know, so far. So just a reminder, we all. So one to one to two was was just natural. You know, he got old, and that was it. Two was a forced regeneration. So the time lords made him regenerate. Three to four, he actually needed coach, whatever his name. I feel like I'm, you know, you know, yeah. the dude, um, the Time Lord dude projection coaxed it along. Now, maybe it would have, but I, I, there's a sort of help. And then you have four to five, you have the ghost help. And so I feel like five to six is sort of like the the next natural one after one to two, you know? Yeah. There's no help. There's, it just happens. Yeah. And the TARDIS, yeah. naturally. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's weird. But I, I do appreciate the Brigadier being, well, here we go again. I do. Yeah. I like it. I'm not mad about it. All right. Well, any final thoughts about the last season of John Pertwee? I'm sad to see John Pertwee go. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed Pertwee a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think he he lands uh, when uh, when we're done with a full rewatch, we're gonna have to go <laughs> back and do our uh, our our doctor list. Oh yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think Pertwee would would go right up there for me. One thing I was thinking of as watch sort of final thoughts watching this series, like I, and maybe because you know having watched some of the Blu-ray extras, we don't have all the seasons on Blu-ray, but the ones we do, you know, the team was all saying goodbye. Obviously, you had Delgado passing away mm-hmm. you had joe leaving you had kind of the production team getting ready to leave and then john getting ready to leave um there was that girl who played liz but nobody remembers yeah, exactly her. no no we don't liz talk about Shaw. her yeah no. um but that she made one other movie we know of but that wasn't very good um but that it just watching the series i was like oh, this isn't as great as the others but i don't know if that was just me sort of like being because everyone's leaving it just sort of has this feeling of like uh, you know, the the peak third doctor was the maybe the last season, you know, or something. And and you can agree or, or disagree, but but and, but I don't think it's true because we've just talked about all the episodes, and I'm not here saying I hate all these episodes. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It was just one of the things watching. It's like, yeah, I feel I like th- something's th- missing, but yeah, I don't know. Well, and I think that it's to be completely honest, Joe Grant, because mm. that season or those few seasons mm. built up that whole family mm. of unit and joe and the doctor and all of them and sarah jane is fantastic but it doesn't have that familial right feeling that joe she's Gra- the I mean, rook joe, joe grant mm. is without a doubt the third doctor's companion mm-hmm. sarah jane is infamous and will live forever as the main, in my opinion, companion. When you uh-huh. think of a doctor companion, she's the first one that comes to mind. But Joe Grant is the third doctor's companion. Mm. All right. Well, with that, let's go into the TARDIS library. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. When you close your eyes. I go to the library. Go to the library now. Well, for this version of the library, we sort of having watched now the entire third doctor era. Mm-hmm. Um... We kind of rewatched 
um, Clever Dick Films' coverage of the John Pertwee era. Because, you know, a lot of these we've watched, and we were like, oh, we know some of this. Yeah. <laughs> but now yeah. we know all of it. It's nice to get a, yeah. So any any new appreciation or any comments about the Third Doctor era as a whole or any new appreciation having watched the video again now, having seen all of the John Pertwee era? Um, first of all, I just always have general... The, uh, every time I watch one of the Clever Dick YouTube videos... Mm-hmm. I continue to just be in awe of Richard. (laughs) (laughs) And the, first of all, the work that he puts in, and second of all, his absolute affection for Doctor Who. It's such a, it's just such a lovely thing to watch what is clearly a labor of love. Mm. Um, I mean, he he doesn't have an unkind thing to (laughs) say, really. I mean, he gives us a little bit of tea. But he is not going to be unkind at all, and so just that's don't talk just about dimensions in time. Delight, yeah. um, and you know, if he's got something ugly to say, he'll say we'll say no more about that. Um, so that's fun. I, I, not necessarily new information, just sort of highlighting, um, you know, Pertwee's wanting to be an action figure, and uh, maybe new information in that audiences at the time sort of expected Pertwee to be more of a comedian because that's the world he had worked in. And coming from the second Doctor era as well. And coming from, yeah, so that combination. And so then for him to turn that on his head and the idea that this is an idealized version of John Pertwee himself. And I just really love Pertwee. I just really, really do. It makes me, and again, not... It strikes me, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, and next time we talk to Richard, he can correct me, that they often hire the actor based on sort of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, casting stereotype, um, and often get the reverse. Mm. You know, because, and yeah, I don't, I don't know, he mentions a little bit of the you know, video of how John got cast, um, but were they expecting John the Comedian to be more the second Doctor, but, but then they give him the directoral, or whoever, whichever mm. director it was. Gives him the directal, you know, just be John Pertwee. So maybe they, they knew what they were getting. Um, I don't know. Did they know, like, he, you know, he's sort of the, uh, I'm trying to compare it, who is someone nowadays, kind of like a Jay Leno or, or something. Like, do they know he has, like, all these cars in his garage? And, yeah. Like, that, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, he's, yeah. is he, he just want, a wannabe, uh, well, not a wannabe, I'm not trying to play it down any, but, you know, action hero James Bond, you know, and so. That that's what they were going to get, but that he's you know the gentleman, the the whatever. Well, and it's always interesting because you see actors who want to try things against type, right? Um, and I know you're getting tired of hearing about Chris Evans, but it does because we're watching defending Jacob, um, which is a completely sort of antithesis to the Captain America. He's going completely against type in that way. But in the same sense, we're getting so much of, it bleeds in. And I think it does that with Pertwee as well. He's going completely against type. He's not playing the sort of slapstick. Over the top. Over the top. Funny voices. I mean, Comedian. Mm-hmm. But we do get the bleed throughs, you know, when he dresses himself up as the chambermaid. <laughs> um, and also, even in the fighting and things like that, there's this sort of, over the top, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so you've got this guy who's trying desperately to play against the type that he's been stereotyped in mm-hmm. with varying degrees of success. And uh, there's a lot of success in there, um, which is why I think it's very interesting that he goes from this to oh, Wurzel. Yes. <laughs> goes right back into it. Uh-huh. Um, well, I've done that now. Back to, yeah, yeah. Back to costumes yeah. and voices. Which is why I assume that after defending Jacob, Chris Evans is going to go back into the Fantastic Four remake. Um, (laughs) That's a joke, people. It is a joke. He's not. I don't think he'll do that. Um, But yeah, I I find actor choices, uh, you know, obviously you don't ever want to be pigeonholed, but at the same time, if something works and if something's, I I don't know. It's not something I've ever had to be faced with. Mm. Um, even though sometimes the guy who writes my scripts is like, I'm just going to make you a drunk on stage. You asked me to. That. <laughs> that's why. Um, but I, and it, I think it's interesting because sometimes we do the whole, you know, every doctor actor just does the three years and, and that's what they tell the next person. But I thought it was interesting how they, and I, I've never thought about it, but it's certainly true. You know, John stayed a little bit. You mm. know, he it wasn't like, um, well, you know, People got fired, but Pat Trout just did his three years or however long it was, and got out, and because he that was it, he did his yeah, you know, doing new things, you know. You can't say well, stay and again, forever. people don't want to get pigeonholed, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't think Pertwee was worried about that. No, he was doing something completely anti-type. He got to play around. He got to do. He got to play his hero. He got to play his James Bond. He got to wear his capes. He liked his cast. He liked his cast. And then when it was done, he got to fly a weird hover car that <laughs> now I want to ask Richard about because he made a thing about it. And um, and then he went off and played a, a scarecrow, crazy, creepy scarecrow yeah, yeah. for a while. So yeah, he got his break and. Because I think you know, you go, John stays a little bit because it, it, you know, Richard the way he says in his video that maybe one of the many reasons John left just because a lot of people were other leaving. You know, Delgado died, Joe left, the the producers were leaving, um, and then so he's like, well, I don't be the last guy at the barn here. Um, and then also he's saying maybe he's having some physical issues as well, going to be as actiony maybe as he mm. could be. Um, you know, getting a little. I mean, he was older to start. I mean, yeah. he started this off with white hair. <laughs> the idea that he's going in and and kicking yeah. alien butt and taking alien name all the way through this. Is, I'm trying to think. Yeah. He was in his fifties. What? Because he's born in 1919. This takes place in the seventies. So mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, uh, he's he's doing a good job uh, physically, even in, you know. He's doing a great job. Yeah. Good on him. But because I think, you know, John stays a little bit, Tom stays forever, <laughs> um, and then you have more tra- in a d- traditional with, uh, uh, you know, five staying a short time, and six getting fired, and then seven getting canceled, and then, you know. So that would be- <laughs> and I think some of that is the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, jobbing actors, look, compared to looking at it in present day, yeah. jobbing actors... That was a that was a job. Yeah. That was a, a career of I'm I'm doing this thing and then I'm doing this thing and then I'm doing this thing and I, I, I the money steady and I'm guest spotting here and I've got a year on this and then I'm guest spotting here that jobbing actors were the people who worked as actors their entire lives and made a comfortable living but were in no way famous and things like that and so I think that's 
sort of the idea that so many of these guys have. Mm-hmm. And from different perspectives, you know, Troughton and even to an extent Pertwee are like, yep, this is my day job for a while and and uh, I'm looking for a change now, so I'm moving on. Whereas then people like uh, Tom Baker are like, hey, I'm, you know, I'll retire here if you want me to. You know, <laughs> and, and that's the way people with regular jobs feel. Sometimes mm. they want to move on to new things, and sometimes they're like, nope, comfortable, I'll stay until you send me away. Um, very much, uh, I don't know if you saw any of this, and I'm going a little bit off pissed, ladies mm. and gentlemen, I apologize. Uh, but the interview with um, uh, the one, her name escapes me, the woman who plays Meredith Grey on Grey's Anatomy. Um, I mean, who, who, who just recently gave an interview where she was like, this is my job. <laughs> I, have n- I have Doing this forever. <laughs> I, I have stayed here for 14 years because it's a steady income and I'm raising a family and I don't have any interest in going out and auditioning and, and not having that stability. Mm. And, you know, screw you if you don't like it. Right. And, and I think that it was, it was a real shock when she gave that because mm. everybody's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. And she's like, this, this is my job. I, I went to school for this, and now I have a job, and it gives me a steady income. And so now I can go do things like raise my family mm. while I'm doing this job. And no, I'm not going to audition for other stuff. Why would I do, you know? Um, and so I think in, you get both kinds, and both kinds are okay. Yeah, because I, I think, and I don't know this for a fact. This is sort of what I've gleaned, so maybe Richard, whoever can tell me I'm wrong, you know, Bill Hartnell loved being the doctor because, I mean, he made it the role. But he, he sort of, that was his then role. I'm the doctor, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, that that was his role in life. You know, he got fired. But anyway, but I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah, also yeah. really old. Yeah. Um, not really old, but, uh, you know, he was old. Anyway. Um, but Considering Pat, his timeline. Yes. But Pat Troughton, I don't think necessarily was that. Mm. You know, I think he was happy to move on. Not yeah. that, like, he didn't hate the role, but he's like, yeah. You know, this was a job. It was fun. I think, Off I go. I think John was the doctor. I think Tom was the doctor. Mm. I think, you know, um, I don't know why I'm not thinking Peter, right? Yeah. Know, I can't think of David's father and last name. Um, I don't know if Peter thought himself, you know, it's an identity thing. You know, he was like, yeah, did a role, moved on. You know, Colin was fired. But, you know, n- yeah. not, not a choice there. But even Sylvester, I don't think Sylvester thinks he's, you know, he's done other roles, you know. But I think both uh, Bill, John, and Tom are very... I'm a doctor. Now, John yeah. did, like you said, other stuff, too, and happy to do it. But I think they definitely sort of bear, in a good way, like that, they embrace, that's the word I'm looking for, embrace the role, and that we're more than happy to just sort of that be that, be yes. the doctor. Yeah, like, and, and, and again. Uh, even when they're not filming, like doing other yeah. events. And, and, and yeah. that is not a good thing or a bad yeah. thing. That is just a thing that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think any of the doctors in Modern Who have taken it to that extent Mm-mm. um i think the closest in <laughs> my mind would actually be david tennant right but he's done boatloads of yeah, stuff since to, then yeah. so it's not that is very much an identity for him but it hasn't stopped him from doing a billion other things and of course chris eccleston is the complete Doesn't antithesis of that and, <laughs> and it's like yeah i had a job for a year why do people still want to talk about that nobody yeah. nobody wants to talk about when i was in antigone for the <laughs> national theater what's going on here i was an excellent working class creon um and so, yeah i think I working think... class creon should have been his biography <laughs> <Right>. title <laughs> um so 
yeah, I think it, it's neither good nor bad. You see both. And I, I don't think it changes what makes you a good doctor, mm-hmm. whether or not that's the thing that you want to encompass or not. And then sort of to kind of wrap up, um, Barry Letts and Taryn Sticks are the producers. I yes. finally looked oh, it up. Yes. I was like, I know I'm just going to say it wrong. But anyway, but I, I mean, the, I feel like the fundamental stories of <laughs> Barry and Taryn, um, hmm. yeah, um, River very, you know, they're, and this may be the same as we go throughout the series, but for, it seems like, especially a third doctor, like it's really British stories. I mean, they're applicable to other societies as well, but it's very much often the classes, you know, the, the I don't say it. But also very much of the time. Mm-hmm. A lot about um, the, who you know, has the power, who seven, doesn't. 70s yeah. and 80s Britain is very much, you know, blue collar versus white collar and mm-hmm. very, very classist and, mm-hmm. you know, milk bottles and. And Margaret Thatcher taking away milk from babies and minors and, mm. and all of those sorts of things. I think it's very indicative of the time. But also looking back at it, really modern. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the hippie one is very, it could just as easily be set in 2020 and and get away with it, mm-hmm. you know. We're, we're the Green New Death meets the Green New Deal. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. seeing very similar issues coming back into the forefront, so that's very interesting to watch it with that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that the, the characters all sort of work, because I think even though when you have unit, this semi-military or, or military organization, um, but the Brigadier isn't crazy, you know. I mean, like, he's is very much a military man, but he's not... Over the top. He's not militaristic trope. I mean, there are times, you know, where he he does go, in the doctor's opinion, and maybe not too far, or, or does the military solution. I'm trying to think of the Silurians, because he blows up the Silurians. Mm. And the doctor's like, well, don't, that's yeah. not good. Um, but, you know, he, he he still is open to things, you know. Very much so. I mean, there it, it he eats never... his mushroom burger or whatever it was, yeah, or mushroom yeah. steak or whatever. It, was. it never feels like he is the authority, the end all and the be all, and that's the way he views himself. Because I feel like you know, with the doctor, typically in a story, challenging authority in whatever its forms, author, authoritarian, authoritarian. Yeah, I was getting at you. Yeah, um, you know, whether it's on Earth or whether it's an alien or whether it's whatever. Um, that's typically his, which is typically a doctor's role. But mm. again, um, you know, again, because I think a lot of these stories are challenging power and 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 unequal power or um, segregation or the role of various people in society. You know, and some of it's more explicit than others. You know, um, again, I'm not wasn't alive in '70s Britain, um, so I can't tell you about any racial identity um, or issues. any '70s '70s anything. <laughs> so I don't know how on the mark they were trying to be about racial um, things, especially even in the Greater Commonwealth, because mm. we sort of had yeah, um, you know. And so they certainly, but but I think more of a little bit more explicit this role of women. Um, and then the role of class, mm-hmm. um, and then you know to the extent. And I think that we see those hard and fast sort of black and white issues mm-hmm. portrayed to the side. That mm-hmm. is what the doctor and unit come into 
Whereas then you have doctor, the doctor, the ultimate rebel, and mm. the brigadier, the ultimate military man. But we never see them straight up butting heads, shouting at each other. You know, they listen to each other. They take things that they... they they're both gentlemen. They, they're both <clears throat> gentlemen, and they both accept the expertise of the other in areas that they may not have as much knowledge on. And, and just view the other side's um, characteristics as sort of eccentric, eccentric. You know, in other words, the doctor's like, oh, he's a military guy, and then... The, the brigadier's like, oh, he's a crazy science guy. Yeah. But, you know. But yeah. we still really like each other, yeah. and we're going to listen to what... And so we almost get this model of a very major general. Maybe. And then also just the... Uh, very major brigadier? Anyway. Yeah, and I'm not saying it, it's uh, to the nth degree, but anti-colonialism certainly is addressed in many of these yes. stories. I mean, obviously this is the... Uh, Again, another one. It's not my country, but yeah, the the crumbling empire, for lack of a better word, mm. um, the last gasp, I suppose, of the empire. Um, you know, before we were going to make Britain great again. So, <laughs> don't joke, right? Don't so, joke. but anyway, but yeah. So, I, I, like I said, uh, I it'll be interesting to evaluate or reevaluate the Third Doctor because it was certainly my first experience, for the most part, as yeah. well as it was yours. So. Yeah, good times. Yep. Good times, baby. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, we're not. We're going to move on to oh. the next one. I want to do three again. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be moving on um, eventually to Tom Baker era with number four. So until then, enjoy the Doctor's many adventures throughout time, time and, and space. This is BBC Television.